Well, welcome to the Connect podcast series, the weekly podcast for the California MBA featuring movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. Uh, I'm Susan Mawazo. I'm the CEO for the California MBA and very happy that you can join us today. Uh, before I get uh, started with today's podcast guests, um, I'd like to thank our Connect podcast sponsor, Incelerate. Incelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. The mortgage industry's most innovative customer experience platform, which delivers lead management, sales enablement, engagement, a robust mortgage-specific content library, and data intelligence, all in one comprehensive and highly scalable platform. Incelerate delivers dynamic technology strategy and content for every channel of your business to ensure engagement throughout the customer journey, whether it be your borrowers, referral partners, or any other party to the loan transaction. This dynamic enterprise solution seamlessly fits into your tech stack due to their advanced API connectivity, modern design, and open architecture. Gone are the days of managing multiple and separate systems and having your data trapped in data silos. This innovative platform allows you to provide your internal and external customers timely, relevant information based on data intelligence to build repeatable outcomes at each stage of the customer's journey. Close more loans, improve borrower conversion, enhance customer retention, transform your customer acquisition lifestyle, and create customers for life. Uh, for more information, you can visit Incelerate.com or call the number in the description below. Uh, so with that, I am turned over to our guest today, and I'm very excited to welcome two of my very good friends, people that I've known in the industry for a long time, uh, Scott Calder with PSRS and John Calder with Money360. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. So um, Scott was actually on the board when they hired me. So I've, I've known him for a while, and I think I met John about five minutes after that. So it's been a, 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 great, uh, a great friendship that I've been able to, uh, to have through the California MBA. Um, so this is part of our, you know, our legacy in the mortgage industry where we have multiple generations that are in the mortgage industry. So thank you guys again for agreeing to participate in our, our Connect podcast. Um, so I usually start out by asking how you got into the industry. So Scott, should you, uh, maybe you could go first and let us know how you got started. I'd be happy to, Susan. Uh, I got out of the Army in August of 1964. And on October the 1st, I started with the Allison Company. A little bit of nepotism in that my dad was uh, principal and part owner of the Allison Company. By the way, the Allison Company, I think, is one of the very few companies that still is active in CMBA and structured basically as they were when I worked there many, many, many years ago. Well, so we actually have three generations. Uh, I didn't realize that. We actually have three generations in the Calder family. So way back in those days, the uh, main objectives of the CMBA were as they are today, legislative, educational, and um, mentoring and, and getting to, to know each other. But we actually had an interesting uh, fourth objective back then, and that was to get some of the East Coast investors to come out and visit us in California, because back in those days, there were still a lot of insurance companies that didn't want to put their money west of the Mississippi because they weren't sure of our markets out here. And so we'd wait until uh, the middle of the winter and then hold a convention down in the Hotel Del Carnado. And that was a great sales point. 
Right. It's funny to think that we actually had to ever like work to get investors to invest in California, isn't it? It's just such a, an odd thing to think about now. Yeah, yeah, because now we're we're obviously uh, if not at the top, one of the top local investment areas or desirable areas. Right, right. So, John, how about how about you? How did you get started? Well, I got started uh, in the real estate industry, actually, in brokerage, and it actually started. I started working for the appraisal department at Cobble Banker because when I turned 16, I loved to drive and was driving so much. My dad said, "You need to get a job." gas was costing me too much so um i got a job with uh, ken coglin at global banker he brought me in and showed me a thomas guide which i don't know if people remember what those are but showed me a thomas guide and how to work it gave me five packages and said go take these to our clients and come back at the end of the day that was the start so i worked in the in the in the appraisal department and saw what the brokers were doing and all the fun they were having and so went off to school and took real estate classes and graduated and came back and started in real estate brokerage in 88. Um, and was in brokerage and then I moved to Pacific Southwest where my dad's now working um, way back. And, and at the time they had a leasing side. And so I was on that and Randy Schwartz, who I'd met before through my dad in some of the events of the CMBR, the parties and stuff that they did. Um, told me I'm moving you to the mortgage side. So I moved to the mortgage side, was in that doing a lot of cold calling and then hearing that my dad was getting some deals because people thought that it was my dad that was calling him instead of me. And so then I moved to the lender side which is where I stayed so that there's a distinction between what I'm doing and what he's doing. Right. Right. Oh, that is funny. That is good. You know, this uh, this series of kind of multi-generational, you know, mortgage industry professionals has been really fun for me. Um, I've got some some great um, guests lined up in the future as well. But um, I think, you know, Scott and John, both of you, but Scott in particular, you have a, a very unique perspective in that you've been so active with the organization for so long. And, uh, you know, your you know, your your dad was even involved with it. So, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about like what was the culture of the association like in the 70s and 80s before we had social media to connect us. I mean, we have these great conventions that people that have been involved in the organization for a long while will remember, but I've only heard stories of just how um, how impactful they were to build, you know, relationships and do and and good business partners. Yeah, I remember when I started the California Mortgage Bankers itself was only 10 years old. So at our annual meetings, uh, which were, uh, we called a convention, uh, we had both residential and commercial because many of the companies were still doing both residential and commercial. Right, they did both, that's right, yeah. And, and it was a, a family affair, wives were included. Uh, I say wives were included because at that time, I don't think that we had any lady mortgage bankers. I think they were all men that's and wives. Yeah. Uh, they had programs to, to talk about how to maintain us and keep us in line while we were out playing golf or tennis. So, uh, but it, it it went on as a, a really family affair with annual conventions where there was a minimum of business meetings. I think we had to have a couple of business meetings so we could justify our get togethers, but it was really pretty much a social event. And because it was early in its formative stages, you had all the principals of the mortgage companies there, uh, the Dan Mulvihills, the Malin Burnhams, 
Bob Bob uh, Olson, all the old timers who were the actual heads of the companies were at those meetings. And the, the culmination of the convention was a big costume party uh, where everyone participated, and and it was a lot of fun. And somewhere along the line, as the residential and the commercial began to split a little more. Um, I, I think one key date was in like 1980, I believe, when we actually moved the CMBA office from Los Angeles, where it had been since its inception, up to Sacramento uh, because of the importance of the legislative uh, part of our activities. And uh, the other really important date, I think, was uh, when we stopped having the, the conventions and started our uh, what we now call the CREF conference, where commercial and residential kind of went their own ways for their annual meeting, if you will. And we started the CREF conferences in Las Vegas. I think that was late 1990s somewhere. And uh, yeah. that that became a real business conference where, where there were a lot of... And, and uh, during all that time, of course, technology was changing and becoming what used to take weeks took days, and then what took days took hours, and now we're almost instantaneous with the exchange of knowledge. And yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I just, uh, you know, those tales of kind of the conventions and how people, uh, you know, really, you know, viewed the association back then is just so much different than they do now. They still have those relationships, but they're, you know, there's just so many different ways to interact with people now, whereas then you really needed to suit up and show up and be at that convention to make those, you know, kind of forge those relationships. And, um, you know, I think that uh, um, that Western States Craft Conference, of course, now is, you know, nationally recognized as one of the, the best commercial real estate finance conferences in the country. So um, all good things came from uh, came from the convention, I guess. Um, so, John, do you have, you know, considering you were also raised in this industry, do you have any peers in the industry now that you maybe met as a kid or through uh, an MBA or California MBA event? Uh, through that, there were some folks that I met um, through some of the events that my dad had that were related, I believe, to CMBA and MBA, uh, where people were coming to the house. And I met the Mova Hills and uh, Randy Schwartz um, and a number of others um, that. I ended up staying in touch with and contacting and, and they helped me in the industry. And Randy Schwartz actually got me involved with CMBA um, when he was involved and then he was running the golf tournaments. Oh and yeah. He came to me and said, I want you to run the golf tournaments. And I, that's when we consolidated the one golf course. And that's when the convention was Sunday golf and then Sunday night cocktail party and then Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning. For the final and so then that's when i got very involved with the cnba yeah um, a number of different people and, and just running that led me on to meeting people all over the country lenders that were coming out conduit lenders life company lenders and all the mortgage bankers and and them so and you ran the uh, what we used to have the golf tournament for at western states correct you ran that golf tournament for a number of years yep i yeah i was five, six, seven years, something like yeah. that. Yeah, you did You did it all. We got to bring that back one of these days. We got to get some people rallying yeah. around the golf tournament. Go back to Sunday. Start on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Then we can go back to the golf. Then go back to the golf. Okay, well, I will, uh, I will work on that. 
Um, so talking a little bit about the commercial industry, you know, COVID, um, you know, hit the commercial real estate uh, industry in a different way than it did, uh, you know, your colleagues on the residential side. So what do you, what's your kind of outlook for the 2022 market on the commercial side? Well, I mean, I'll take a crack at that. One of the, one interesting thing happened just this morning, Susan and John, and that was, I got an email, or our company got an email from one of our insurance company lenders that they were not going to attend the CREF conference this year because of the COVID last minute decision, which is kind of too bad. And, oh, and yeah. they, they, in their memo, they expressed uh, how sorry they were because that's a very important part of their annual calendar. Uh, and so it, 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 I, I hope that is a minority reaction and that we won't have too many people that will miss this year's convention. And hopefully too many people don't miss. And I mean, I think that people are making those decisions now based on the current status of, yeah. of the virus and, what's going on. Yeah. and the future. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully when we get through and get into more towards spring and summer, then the travel travel bans or, you know, shutting down opens back up and maybe people rethink. What what would you guys say would be like the emerging asset classes or asset classes to, that'll have the most activity in in 22? Uh, that's a pretty easy one because uh, of the major classes, uh, hotels are still out, office buildings are still a problem, retail uh, is still an issue, uh, depending on the quality and location. I mean, uh, uh, you know, one of the super malls is fine, but isn't the super mall? It's not only not fine, it's <laughs> it's way down there. Wow. Uh, industrial, uh, apartments, and self-storage, I would say, I don't, I think John will agree, but I don't know, but I think those three are the main asset classes today. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're, we're not looking at or seeing any hospitality product being brought to us. Um, we are looking at a lot of uh, multifamily and getting that done we're seeing a lot of industrial we're seeing select office um which we'll look at and select retail uh no big box uh type centers like dad was saying no we won't we don't look at malls but malls you're either the a plus mall or you're going to be a dead mall and converted to something else um fairly soon but and we just see a lot of self-storage as well and like that like that asset class Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that has made industrial so popular is uh, for point of delivery uh, for the retail, uh, even the big, big new enters on the email or the uh, uh, ordering over the line, like as, uh, Amazon is, is buying warehouses now so that they can right. get to a faster delivery mode. So right. you see a lot of delivery building need enlarged and, and improved and used yeah that's in, it's incredible i mean uh that i see them pop up i mean all over our state at least it's uh but you said like you say i mean hey that's way you know people are are behaving so they have to be able to you know meet the meet the demand and that kind of leads me to what you know my next question which is you know as far as like office and retail how we shop where we how we work are we can we, uh, is this move, mode towards remote work and, and remote shopping experiences kind of here for good? Well, I think that, uh, I mean, the sticks and bricks retail will be here forever. People like to try things on. They like to touch things. 
Um, they may be, I think that the face of retail will change as far as how much space the store needs. You may go in and try something on and then order the color and the size online and then it shows up at your office or your house. Um, so I think that retail is gonna change as the as the computer gets better, but I think retail will still always be there. And I think there's gonna be a need for kind of the open air or the restaurant concepts where people go for entertainment um, to get out of the house. I think office is gonna go to a hybrid situation where there'll be some in the office. Um, and I think that, and, and then a lot of um, remote work, and I think companies have really adapted well to that. Um, with the internet speeds that you can get at home um, and with the laptop computers and the, the availability of screens. Um, so I think that the, the office environment will change. I think that the office environment's been going smaller and smaller space per individual person. And I think that'll expand back out to where you'll be back to, you know, 250 feet per person or more versus the 225, 200, where they're trying to jam more people in the, in the office. Um, with the probably new protocols for what's going to be required for people to be comfortable. I think so, you'll see uh, there's be a difference in the office. There's some office uses uh, where the people pretty well need to be in their office if they possibly can. But they've discovered that there are a lot of office uses where people do not need to be in their office uh, every day uh, of the week. And, and I think that's going to be a permanent issue so you'll see more and more offices that uh where people have to be there they'll be repopulated uh some of the other ones won't be i think it's hard to kind of turn that back right i mean these employees now have been i mean we're coming up to two years where you know people have been working remote and trying to figure that out and like you say scott it's like if you are able to perform your job i just don't see I don't see a, a, a work world where we come back and everybody just comes back to the office 40 hours a week. Well, that, that's true, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of office uses where the interplay between the people in the office is, is really an important factor. And, and I think that's gonna be the deciding factor. Uh, if you don't need to be in the office to do your job and you don't feed off of each other in the office for ideas, and then I think you'll, you'll see those people staying out of the office. But, I think a lot of offices are going to repopulate. Right, right, right. We have, you know, we have analysts and we have underwriters and processor closers, and there's a lot of interaction. So our our loan production folks are not in the office here, and they're they're spread across the country, and they're either in home offices or maybe sharing an office with somebody. But as far as the underwriting, we try to do we do all our own underwriting. Um, they work with the analysts. The analysts are younger folks. They're learning from the underwriters who are senior underwriters and been around the business for a long time. And then the processor closers, they're learning from. And when you're going to close some of these loans, you, you need it's easier to do it when people are here together and you can meet and deal with issues than it is trying to get everybody on a Teams meeting or by doing it by these long email strings. So I do see, like Deb was saying, I mean, there, there's going to be a need for office and for certain segments of the office to be in the office working together and collaborating. Yeah. Just kind of figure out, yeah, what where the needs are for that. Uh, so kind of my, I, my, my wrap up question for, for you, Scott, you were on the board for the California MBA for a number of years. And um, John, I know you're on uh, our legislative committee and are active there. 
So and I know that you both, you know, through that appreciate and understand what the organization does from an advocacy standpoint to represent the real estate finance industry. But what could either of you share with uh, with people in the industry out there um, about the importance of the work that we do from an advocacy standpoint in California? Well, let me start off on that by saying that back in the very beginning, the California mortgage bankers started when the Southern California mortgage bankers, which already existed, and the Northern California Mortgage Bankers Association, which already existed, decided that there was a need, primarily from a legislative standpoint, for a California mortgage bankers. And that has proved to be so true during the years. I mean, there, there are very, very well-known crises in our industry where the legislative has been so important. And I, I think back to the usury situation where our industry could have could have virtually disappeared uh, because of the unintended consequences of some of the propo proposed legislation. And then again on Prop 13, which we continue to see every year as a battle, uh, again, because of unintended consequences of, of something that might sound good on the surface, but when you dwell down to the, the after effects, it, it's very dangerous. And we need that legislative impact to, to keep us apprised of uh, what's going on in our industry from that and john you're on the legislative committee i believe so you can maybe comment on on the significance of that yeah no it, it's a very significant thing um and being on that committee and working with our lobbyists and it's amazing the stuff that he brings to our attention and the bills that are being put forward uh, there are bills that people are that are going forward that we've got to fund the lobbyists and we've got to put the money behind it and get the support behind it to stop some of these things because they'll cripple the industry. I mean, there were a number that we looked at last year um, and they were, I think they were started on the residential side, but they're eventually going to roll over to the commercial side, but they would just cripple the industry with what they were going to be requiring and what they were trying to get passed. And it, it, it's very critical that we get everybody involved who's in the industry in support of, of the CMBA and then get the lobbyist working for us. And you need a good lobbyist who I think we have, and he's well-known and well-respected, and he can get other lobbyists, you know, with factions that we need to partner up with to go to stop certain bills, because it's gonna affect our industry, and it's gonna affect their industry. Um, and it's a very active thing, and I think everybody needs to be really more aware of it than they are, and I think they need to participate in it. Yeah. yeah one, of the problems is, one of the problems is that the, most of those legislators do not have a good understanding of our business and what we do and, and what we provide to, this, to, to our clients. And so when they undertake some uh, legislation that on the surface sounds very good and, and have very good intentions, but there are unintended consequences of, of much of those legislative bills that, that we need to, to make sure that they understand. Right, right. Always an education, uh, you know, a, um, an, an act of education with our our lobbying team and our legislative committee, uh, making sure that the policymakers are, you know, understand kind of what you guys are articulating, how it would impact the industry. And uh, it is very critical. If you're listening to this and you're a member of the California MBA, you're welcome to join our legislative committee and be a part of uh, a part of the solution to uh, make sure that we protect access to affordable credit in California. 
Well, thank you both for uh, being guests on just, our podcast. Let me just throw one last point in about CMBA. Aside from the importance of the legislative, which is just paramount, but the education part of CMBA has always been very, very important too, because we've got we've gone from an industry that took days to get documents from one coast to the other to a time when we just do it all instantaneously. And this all involves the education of our people. I'm sitting here still looking at my old uh, HP 12C, which I still use. And it's in a leather case that says no more capital on it. So that'll give you, so that'll age a little bit. So there's my HP 12C, the original case. There's the oh, look at you. The dad got go. and took to Sears and had my initials put right there oh. so that nobody would take my HP 12C because it has my initials on it. But, but the answer is we we better be progressing beyond the HP 12C or we're going to be left in the dust. <laughs> well, again, thank you guys for uh, for being our guests on Connect Podcast. It's always fun to talk with you guys. And uh, thank you for your support over over the years for the California MBA. Uh, and thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, you can access all of our Connect podcast episodes by following our YouTube channel. We're also available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. So we'll be back next week with another episode of Connect. Thank you, everyone.